I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today we have a meteorologist, Sam Cuffel from CBS 58 out of Milwaukee, joining us today. Uh, today, hopefully, we're going to maybe look at some weather trends and see if uh, we can relate this to any of our agriculture practices or anything that we see that's going on out in the field. So thanks for coming today, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you could maybe start off, just give a little background to our listeners about where you're from and what you all do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was born and raised in Kenosha. Um, I did go to school at UW-Milwaukee and got my degree in atmospheric science. Um, didn't really want to go into TV, but I wanted a Monday through Friday job in the state as a meteorologist, which was very hard to find. So ended up going up to a station in Wausau um, and lived in Wausau for three and a half years before I uh, took this job back down in southeastern Wisconsin. And while I was in Wausau, not only doing the TV job, I was also working a private sector job. Um, where I really got to learn more of the point detailed forecast for farmers, um, the cranberry marshes, which is a little bit different than just kind of a more general forecast that we give on TV. Sam, let's uh, let's get into the discussion of what you do on a day-to-day basis, I guess. Just take us through a normal day and, and what a meteorologist actually does besides the TV portion of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the TV part is kind of just the end, the easiest part. You know, you're just going on there. It's almost like a PowerPoint presentation after you put your graphics together. But I spend at least an hour to hour and a half forecasting and looking at the model data well before I go on air. Um, And thankfully, I work with a lot of great meteorologists. So we're all looking at the same data and then we all collaborate and say, hey, it looks models are showing one to two inches of rain, but you know, this one isn't, do we believe it? Um, And a lot of it just goes into discussion, not just ripping the model data and saying, hey, this is what we're expecting. Um, Because a lot of times a model will be way out in left field with amounts or temperatures. And you're like, okay, it's saying it's going to be really hot or, or really rainy, maybe temper that back a little bit. So it really goes, the degree goes into that and how you can um, decipher that data. And it really comes with experience too. The longer you do forecasting, especially in the same areas, you can pick up on better trends. You know, all of us that lived in Southeast Wisconsin know it is going to be warmer near the lake in the winter than inland areas. Cause like Michigan keeps us warmer. Uh, so like the city of Sheboygan is going to be warmer than Plymouth most nights. Um, and then kind of vice versa in the winter at least, or in the cooler seasons. Um, but then of course you got the lake breeze that develops in the summer. And, you know, we also watch those trends where we get those cold fronts that really like to race down the lake. So that's something that's a little bit more specific to southeastern Wisconsin in itself. So we do spend a lot of time going through the data. Um, after we go through the data, we do check it with, you know, you know, what's the National Weather Service kind of going with temperature-wise? What are their thoughts, especially for precipitation? Are they kind of believing the models that would be on the higher side or the lower side with rainfall or snowfall? And the snowfall gets a little bit more complicated. Um, but, yeah, do spend a, a decent hour to hour and a half forecasting before the show, um, writing down all of our data, and then we have to update, you know, the numbers that we you see on TV, our seven-day forecast, highs, lows. Um, so that's a little bit more of the easier part. Um, but I would say a majority of the behind-the-scenes work does 
go into forecasting um, and then building the graphics itself. So when you say model, mm-hmm. like, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah so um, there are several computer models that ingest data that is released by weather balloons twice a day. Um, so the only place or the only weather service office in southeast or in Wisconsin that releases weather balloons is the National Weather Service in Green Bay. Um, so we'll look at that data. We'll look at the Twin Cities releases one and Davenport, Iowa releases one. Um, and those are really helpful. That data goes directly into the models twice a day. The models are run four times a day. Um, so having a background as a meteorologist, you kind of know which model runs are going to be a little bit more accurate, which ones to be a little bit more skeptical of if they're going big or going low with snow or rainfall totals. Um, but some of the models are longer range models that go out two, two and a half weeks. Some of them only go out five days. They're more mesoscale oriented. Um, some of them only go out 18 hours and those are the real short-term ones. So when we're talking about long-term, like, hey, and the next week looks warmer than average, that's all we can really say. Can't really give you specifics like, yeah, it's going to be 80 next weekend. We can say, hey, it looks like it's trending warmer, where the short-term models help us hone in, especially on those heavier rain events, thunderstorm events especially. Don't really look at the medium models as much when we get closer to an event. Um, We do look just, you know, see what they're spitting out, but you're not really going to take that, those models verbatim in a short-term type of forecast, just because their grid spacing in the models itself is a lot wider. Mm -hmm. We'll say like a hundred kilometers where the the short-term models are more like maybe five kilometers. So it would have a better handle on, especially with Lake Michigan, um, southeastern Wisconsin, east central Wisconsin, and specifically. So it's fair to say that the the longer your model is, the the less accurate it gets at the end of that. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, because there's a lot of factors that can change an end of a forecast. Um, so even in this current time, we're watching Hurricane Ian approach Florida. That's directly going to impact our weather this weekend because it's going to be stalling out in the southeastern portion of the United States, and it's going to prevent our next weather system from moving in as quickly as it would have. Um, so it, it goes into that, too. you got to look what's going around on around all of the United States to help make an accurate forecast. You can't just look at our model, look at the model, look at the precipitation or simulated radar from it and be like, okay, that's what's going to happen. There's, there's a lot more thinking and digesting that goes into it. Um, when we were in school, we were always just told when we first started forecasting, the models are always wrong. Do not trust them. And you get burned by them sometimes when you do trust them instead of actually going through and thinking through, okay, is this possible? Um, especially once we get into winter season and the transition from fall to winter and winter to spring because temperatures play a pretty big role around here. <laughs> So through the four seasons that we have in this state, is there one season that's harder to predict or model out versus the other? I would say um, it, it is getting a little bit more difficult to forecast snow totals even in the winter and going into the spring season because our winters have been a bit warmer. Um, it seems like we're getting more of those, okay, it's barely 32 degrees, 33 degrees, Um, And just a couple of degrees will change the amount of snow you can get. Uh, The snow to liquid ratio does change. And it seems like we're getting a lot more liquid in the snow recently, in the recent winters. I mean, last winter was pretty easy. Didn't have too much in the way of snow. But once you get into 
late February into March and early April, um, sometimes you might get a snow to liquid ratio. That's one inch of liquid will produce seven inches or seven inches of snow. And that's kind of a, a very low ratio. It's that wet slushy type of snow. Um, so it, it is difficult to, to um, determine whether or not, okay, it's 34. Are we going to get this wet slushy snow or are we going to get straight rain? Are we going to get sleet? Um, so it's a little more difficult in that regard. Um, honestly, the middle of winter when it's super cold, it's a little bit easier to forecast. It's The models have a better handle on that, I would say, in the last several years because, hey, it's 25 degrees. It's going to be that light, fluffy snow. It's going to pile up quickly. So it's easier to be confident about higher snow totals in those situations. But really, that transition from winter to spring is the more difficult, in my opinion. In, in the fall, it's a little bit easier because – we're warmer. The ground is still warm. So it's like, hey, we're going to get snow, but it's going to melt on contact. Ground's not frozen yet. Um, so it's easier to go a little bit lower in the fall, but it's that transition, especially with our wacky spring temperatures. that will go from warm to cold, warm to cold. It's, it's hard to know if the ground is not frozen or not just from our data that we get because we're not out in the fields every day walking on it. Um, and that data isn't, isn't really out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that is like 2022 in a nutshell. It went from cold, cold, cold to boom, mm-hmm. really hot planters in the field. May 9th, they were just rolling and everybody jumped on board all at one time. So, is it harder to predict forecasting in urban areas versus non-urban with population and all that stuff? Does that have a a factor on anything? Um it it does. So, um, I think a lot of the times, especially on TV, we do we are pretty general with our forecasting. And in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, there's a huge urban heat island effect. Um, so we could be going 90 degrees in Milwaukee on a summer day, but Waukesha might only be 85. Um, and that's definitely more seen at night as well. Um, so our inland spots, northern spots, anywhere away from the lake or just outside of the city are going to drop a lot quicker in temperatures. Um, where that urban heat island effect keeps us warmer in Milwaukee. So I think a lot of the disconnect or, you know, we hear that we're wrong all the time um, comes from we're giving a forecast for Milwaukee because our most of the population, the viewers are in that area. So it'll be like, hey, a low of 40 tonight, but you go seven miles inland and you might have to deal with frost. Um, so just from the TV perspective, we try, we've tried to cater more towards lakeside and inland forecasting. Um, to give that broader view, because if you're watching us here in Plymouth, let's say, and I say, hey, it's going to be 40 tonight, you know it's not going to be 40 here in Plymouth tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're trying to communicate that a bit more on TV and especially online as well on social media pages, anywhere we can actually just get that out. Um, But yeah, Milwaukee does tend to be warmer both during the day and at night, you know, if we're not dealing with the lake breeze. Do you have a lot of... um I guess I'd call it like a weather spotter or something for totals of rain in certain areas, or how do you guys come up with that a lot of times? Um, rain totals are very easy to get, which is nice. Um, we have multiple websites besides just the regular airports. Those are the official ones, um, but a lot of the co-ops have their rain data online. Um, a lot of at-home weather stations are being able to put online. Um, so we do get a very large amount of rain totals. Um, and even people in their backyard that have rain gauges love, love to get those pictures in. I gave my mom a rain gauge just so I could, she lives on the North side of Kenosha. So I'm like, Hey, how much rain did you get? I know it poured there, but not over the airport. 
and especially in the storm season, there can be huge discrepancies where if one place did get one of the downpours and five miles away didn't. Um, so thankfully we have a lot of areas or a lot of reports that come in for rain. It's the snow that's difficult because those don't just show up. Even at uh, uh, actual physical reports from Milwaukee, like the airports, it's literally someone walking outside with a ruler and taking measurements. Um, the actual sensor data doesn't measure the snow for us. Um, so it's, that's why it's a little bit harder to get snow totals and in the winter compared to rain totals in the summer. So a, a scenario like a storm, like we had a, a big front roll through here with a storm on Sunday, mm-hmm. because that environment's rapidly changing, is that harder to predict where maybe the heart of that storm would be versus somebody five miles away that doesn't get anything? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's almost more of like a real-time forecast. Um, so we can't really... And honestly, this past Sunday, it looked more, it was going to be spotty stuff. So once all that spotty storms kind of congealed into a line, like no models really had that. So it was more of like a couple hours before we had to start the messaging of, oh, okay, we're going to, we're all going to get rain today. It's moving pretty quickly. So we're not worried about flooding, uh, but you'll probably get a good downpour. Um, But it was, the environment just was perfect with the clearing right in front of those storms. So those storms could continue to go. Um, so it's difficult in those situations, especially I'm assuming for you guys with planning purposes, if in the morning it looks like, okay, we might get hit with a spotty downpour or two, but we can't be sure we're going to get hit to in the afternoon, it definitely looks like we're going to get hit. Um, so it is pretty difficult, especially with thunderstorm season to actually pinpoint where the spotty showers, you can't really predict that. But once we get into like fall in spring especially it's a little bit easier since it's more large-scale low pressures moving through to actually be like hey Fond du Lac and Sheboygan counties are going to get the heaviest rain going to be less down to Racine and Kenosha closer to the center of the low so that's a little bit more easier to predict a couple of days in advance compared to these spotty downpours. Have you uh, been able to pick up on any let's say a a weather trend for moisture, especially, it seems like a lot of the growers I work with have said the last, let's say, five to six years that, especially in spring planting season, when we get rain, we get more rain than we ever used to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the trends are for, you know, in a warming climate, a warm warmer air can hold more moisture. So if we do get some warmer days in the spring, say even 60 degrees, that's going to hold, that air is going to hold more moisture in the clouds, drop more rain as, say, if it was 50 degrees. Um, So even that slight change in temperature would increase those rainfall events. Um, And then just overall, the 50 to 100-year rain events that we've grown to know have gotten more so 35-year, have turned into 35-year rain events, 75-year rain events just in the last 60 years um, because we're getting just warmer during the day and more so in Wisconsin, we're getting warmer at night faster than we're getting warmer during the day. A lot of the lower 48s warming up quicker during the day. We're a little bit of an opposite here in Wisconsin. Um, So even those warmer nights have been having an impact. I'm assuming you guys know that too, especially with the up and down in spring of it being warm and then going to a frost randomly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely say that the rain events, the big ones, have gotten much bigger. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's definitely affected us directly with right. farming. And I think these growers have gotten 
burnt and burnt and they're they're not going to wait anymore. And something else we're noticing too is the heaviest rain events are getting heavier. Um, so about an inch heavier in this part of Sheboygan near the Fox Valley. Um, those heaviest rains that we get spring, summer, and even early fall are about an inch wetter than they used to be just 50 years ago if we're going lo- longer scale. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect that to change. If anything, we've been seeing those extremes too, how it was extremely wet twenty season 2018, 2019, and going into 2020, followed by almost a drought the next year. So I think we're going to see more of the it was raining like crazy for two years, and then the following year to year and a half, it was really dry, kind of getting back to normal. Um, but it's pretty difficult to predict, okay, now it's going to be soggy the next few years, or, hey, we're going back to a drought. But it's we're seeing more of the extreme ends as opposed to just normal rainfall. So back to that, you said that you've been seeing that we've been getting warmer at night. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's been new, or, or is that like the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, or compared, or how are you comparing that to? Yeah, I would say more the last uh, 10 to 15 years, especially. Uh, noticed it a little bit in the 90s to early 2000s, but we were still getting really cold seasons, years, um, especially in the winter. Um, but something we're noticing too is normally um, El Nino and La Nina weather patterns would kind of not, not I won't want to say set in stone, but the trends for those type of events, it would be easier to predict like, hey, we're going to get a cold, snowy winter with La Nina. Well, we're entering our third straight year of a La Nina winter. Last year was easy. We didn't, get a lot of, we didn't get a lot of snow, and it seemed like it was warmer. So even when we did get precipitation events to come in, it would be a mix of rain and snow, so not just straight snow. So that that's something that's interesting because normally the El Nino-type patterns would keep us warmer in the winter, but now we're seeing that with La Nina, and that's that's a little that's that's new. Sure. This is only the first time in record-keeping, which only goes back to the 40s or 50s for El Nino-La Nina events, that this is our third one in a row. Um, so I can't confidently say we're going to have a cold and snowy winter, but I know a lot of people the last two years are like, we're due. We're, we're due for a rough winter. So we are, I mean, there, I've got some growers that have pictures of, of snow piles up to the telephone, like the top of the telephone poles. And <laughs> in my whole life, I'm 31 years old. I've never seen snow right. accumulate like that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I believe it was the winter, uh, of 2017 to 18. Uh, I was up in Wausau and we got 55 inches of snow in February alone. Like it just snowed like crazy every day. And that was their snowiest month ever. And yeah, the piles were up to the to the poles, and they were having people come try to shave off the snowbank so people could at least like see into traffic and drive around. But ever since that was the craziest snow I've experienced. But ever since then, it's been kind of easy waiting for a big one. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is um when you guys use the Comet Lake effect? I guess I always. I mean, I went to school up at Green Bay, and we'd have lake effect snow all the time. So what is what is causing that? Uh, it's the temperature difference between both the lake temperature and the air temperature. Um, so, for example, last week when that fall, first fall cold front finally came through, Lake Michigan's still sitting in the upper 60s temperature-wise right now. So the cold air flowing over those warmer waters is what creates the clouds and creates the precipitation. Um, 
So when we go into late fall, early winter, that's when we have a lot of our lake effect because the lake is still warm, even though we've cooled down or the air mass way above us is way cold. Um, so that's why we always hope for uh, Lake Michigan to ice over mm-hmm. or at least near shore because that kind of cuts off that lake effect uh, component. For temperature wise, um, have you are you seeing anything that we're getting warmer, longer, or like our seasons are stretching out more compared to where they've been? Yeah, it, I've seen more so like they're shifting. It seems like, you know, early June, this year we went from nothing to 90s in early June, but it seemed like recently it's like the cooler 60s were still lingering into early June. Um, and then September, you might as well consider a legitimate summer month at this point. It doesn't seem like we're getting a ton of cold snaps early in the month and sticking around. Like this year, the cooler air came right on time with the start of astronomical uh, fall. Um, But a lot of times it seems like it's staying in the 70s and 80s. It's staying humid. Um, And as long as it stays humid like that, we're still expecting summer like thunderstorms that are going to drop all, you know, a couple inches of rain and a couple in an hour or two. And I know that has a huge impact on you guys trying to harvest. Yeah. I would definitely say our killing frost date has been much later in the last couple of years than when I was a kid, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, too, um, not sustained warmth in the spring, but, like, we'll get quick warm-ups in March or April where it's like, hey, we got our first 70 way, like, weeks above, weeks ahead of normal. We got our first 80 a week or two ahead of normal, and it stays for a day or two instead of, you know, just a quick, maybe it was only an hour we got up to 80, and then a cold front came through. Um, so not as much in the spring with the sustained warmth, um, but when we do get the colder winters, like Michigan stays colder longer, and that directly has an impact on us, where once we warm up in the summer, it's easier to stay warmer into the fall because of the lake. Mm-hmm. So if a grower, one of our growers, wanted to access what we feel to be accurate weather information, what source or what could they utilize to get the most accurate weather forecast out there? Um, I would definitely, I know the National Weather Service does put out hour-by-hour forecasts, um, but I've even noticed that sometimes when you click their hour-by-hour forecast, it doesn't really match up what they're saying in their discussions. Um, So there is a link on their page where they have their forecast discussions. Um, Sometimes there's a lot of meteorological terms that, you know, would probably go over your heads, but you could get the gist of it where they're saying like, hey, we're seeing the potential for isolated four to six rain amounts with this event, but most of the area is probably going to end up with a half inch to an inch and a half. Um, I do think agronomists and farmers would benefit from being able to actually see the weather models and the weather models are free online and available to the public um that's why you get a lot of armchair meteorologists out there with facebook pages and you're like oh my god this is going to be the craziest thing um but definitely just know the source too if you want to go to a meteorologist like a degreed meteorologist um there's a lot you can learn on your own online to um kind of get the basics of it um national weather service though is normally very good they have a lot of graphics too that will supplement, um, but sometimes it's just it's just hard yeah, to know more it's an than imperfect a, a day or two in advance. Yeah, It's just like farming. One year is completely different from the other, and there's a solution never fits every year. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems like you guys try to be proactive 
but it almost seems like a lot of times, especially in the last five, six years, you have to be reactive to what the weather is doing and the constant heavy rain, especially in spring. Because I think, I think it was 20, 2020, you, got, you were able to get your crops in a little, like, on time or a little bit earlier, and then there was, like, seven inches of rain that washed away or, you know, had the crops sitting underwater. And that's just... Yeah. You can't you can't plan for that no. weeks in advance. No. You can do the best you can to plan for it, but you can never you're you're not proactive enough to be in front of it. Mm-hmm. And and as Lucas and I talked prior to this is these farmers they can get work done so fast now. So fast. And you know, we're upgrading our equipment to keep up to them, but we can't run 24/7 like they can. It's just we just can't do it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And it's almost like at this point, like improving irrigation systems would be a proactive thing to do because these heavier rain events aren't going to go away. If anything, they're only going to get wetter and they've already gotten too wet, in my opinion, um, to be able to successfully and not lose money in crops from one, two, three, four inch rain events that happen multiple times over the May to, we'll say, late September season. So it's pretty safe to say the trend we're trending towards probably having above precipitation, what we would say over a 50 year period. Yes, absolutely. Um, and especially the, the heavier rain events, the day to day ones aren't getting too much heavier. Um, it's just those real extreme ones. Um, the one we had, I believe three weeks ago. Um, I think you guys got about anywhere from one to three inches of rain across Fond du Lac, Sheboygan counties, but Racine picked up 11 inches of rain after being in a severe drought for two years. Um, so that's the things that's more, that are more alarming. Um, and you guys know better than most that if you're in a drought, the ground's hard. Like if you've been in a severe drought, that water is just going to run over um, the top of it. It's not going to soak in. Yep. Um, but yeah, you, since you guys have been pretty normal up here this year, had you gotten the six to 10 inches of rain, that would have probably destroyed your harvest or had to really delay it not being able to get, uh, equipment in the field to actually pull things. Mm-hmm. And I think now that you said that, that our rainfalls in springtime are becoming heavier and increased, I think it's important that we circle back to how farmers are going to treat their fields in the fall so that maybe come springtime, their fields are less prone to washing and, and that those type of things. I think it's good for them to know this because Maybe they'd treat their fields differently in the fall, whether that's tillage or cover crop or you name it, manure applications. So I think it's important for them to know. Absolutely. And the, and just the fact that like the late season snows in March and April are more of getting more of a wetter type of snow, even compared to like 10, 15 years ago. Very slushy. And when it does melt, it's like, oh, this was a half inch of water instead of maybe a quarter inch of water. Yeah. Equivalent. Yeah, that's I I definitely agree with that. With the late later snow we've had we have had, it's been it seems like a lot, but it's gone pretty quick usually too, and, and then we do get wet, wet. Yep. Do you think if we're talking I mean, we're not talking like a twenty acre solo farm, we're talking like the one by us is supposed to be eight hundred acres or something like that. I mean that do you think that would have much like a warming effect? Right. Um, not so much. Um, definitely think, especially since it's still surrounded by greenery, that definitely helps. Um, and even talking like, 
I, I was talking to my chief, Drew Burgoyne, about this, like in a, a real, like a city setting even, um, putting solar panels on top of buildings. It's still better um, because of the, more so the albedo effect. Um, if you just have blacktop everywhere, that's going to soak in the sun. That's going to help it get warmer. Um, but if you have the solar panels and then def- and su- surrounded by grass or any sort of greenery, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to really impact warming as a large scale in a certain area. Okay. Well, is that because that heat's not hitting the surface? Yes. Okay. And supposedly, you know, with solar panels, they're taking that heat in and transferring it into okay. energy right away. Yep. Um, instead of just like storing the heat in one specific location. Okay. I would have thought, I guess I, I would have thought the opposite. I thought it would have caused the warming effect just because you've got so many, <laughs> I don't know. Reflecting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I feel like. And, and I guess too, it depends on, I feel like most solar panels are like reflecting back into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's no clouds, like clouds act like a blanket. So if it's warm during the day and then we get clouds moving in late evening into the night, we're going to be warmer because that warmth can't escape into the atmosphere. Um, So on a sunny day, you got the solar panels soaking in um, that warmth. But at the same time, most of the mirror reflecting is straight back up into the sky. So it kind of allows it to. There's, There's probably some minimal warming with it, maybe just surrounding. But for the most part, if it's a sunny day, that heat is going to be escaping. Put a tanning put a tanning bed right next to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh that's pretty much it. So, I want to thank Sam for coming out today. It was some good information and I I think it kind of tells the whole story that this weather is constantly changing and and you know Farming's constantly changing, and we've got to think of ways to be more proactive in our approach. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.